When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Hello pod fans and welcome to Rugby Tonight's podcast. I'm thrilled to say I'm joined by the man himself, Mr. Lawrence Delaney. We're at Barnes Rugby Club. Tell the people why. Uh, well, I grew up in Barnes, so it's great to be back at my hometown club. I, I moved to Barnes uh, from the east end of London, which was a big relief, uh, age six years <laughs> old. And uh, I grew up here, went to St. Osmond's School up the road. Uh, didn't play for Barnes Rugby Club because... Uh, I was already playing uh, at school, really, at that level, but uh, I followed them all the way through. The clubhouse used to be up the road in the Red Lion pub, um, but uh, through a bit of funding and a lot of hard work from everyone here, they've built an incredibly cosy little clubhouse. It's an amazing rugby club, like so many around up and down the country. They play, you know, a very good level of rugby. Uh, They're playing at all levels, women's team, young teams really supporting rugby at grassroots, a proper grassroots rugby club, and it's great to be back. Well, I can see you're thrilled to be back. Well, this week on the pod, we'll be looking ahead to a pivotal weekend in the Six Nations, whilst reflecting all the excitement from our cherished domestic competition. But first, let's have a look at what we've got coming up. Nick Mullins went to England's training camp at Peniel Park to see how they're preparing for the Calcutta Cup. We're confident. We've, we've trained unbelievably hard. Last week, we trained unbelievably hard, so we're definitely ready for, for that challenge. And Ali can spend the day getting inside the minds of Saracens head coach Alex Sanderson. We want to aspire to win. We want to aspire to, to perform as well as we can and to keep improving in those performances. And our Ali, well, he's had a busy week. He went down to London Irish and what is a must-win clash with Worcester on Sunday? The belief, the energy in training and the way the guys look after each other is, is still very much there. It's there every week in training, every Monday morning. That's why, yeah, I can't praise the guys highly enough. Now, before we start, it's only right to mention the terrible news that Ian Williams of Doncaster Knights has passed away at the tender age of 27 after collapsing in a training gown session. Obviously, all of us at BT sport, all of our thoughts are with him, his family and the guys affected at the club. Nick was at Pennyhill Park earlier this week to speak with England's Jonathan Joseph ahead of their Calcutta Cup clash with Scotland. Here's the best bits. Scotland. Good memories. From a year ago, did you keep the ball? Do you, you get the get the ball on a hat trick? I think I did. Yeah, I did keep it. Yeah, <laughs> it's clearly not on the mantelpiece. Well, it's at my parents, and I think my little <laughs> brother started using it for skills in the garden. So yeah. Do you do you take anything out of what happened twelve months ago personally because it was such a high for you, or is it completely irrelevant this weekend? I think it's completely irrelevant. Um, you know, it's a long time ago now. I think. 
we're a team that you know focuses on our next game, and um, you know our next game is Scotland. We don't look too far in, into the past. We we very much are you know actions. You know we action it now. Um, so we action today in, in, a, in our training session. We had a really tough training session this morning, all geared towards a performance on Saturday. Do you remember the things that you're talking about this week being very different to what you were talking about last year? Or did your memory not go back that far? My memory probably doesn't go back that far. But I think it is, it's always fresh. It's always uh, a different angle on, on what we're looking to do um, in the week, whether that's you know, uh, you know, some of our goals for, for the game and, uh, and our tactics and things like that. Um, because you know, teams change, teams develop, and you've got to be able to adapt. My memory is probably even worse than yours, but I have recollections of you coming from deep for a lot of those tries that you scored at Twickenham last year. Was that just how it fell, do you remember, or was that, was that part of the game plan at the time? I think a few came from set-piece plays, um, and obviously something that we've been working very hard with um, in training, and we just executed the first bit extremely well, and um, it was very tough to, it's a, it's a very tough, they were very tough moves to, to defend, and um, we have some great playmakers inside who make the right decisions, so it actually makes my job very, very easy. Do you call, do you have specific backs moves that you only roll out for a particular team? Or would there be moves that you could have put out against anybody? You know, we'll have an array of options uh, and moves that, that we can use whenever off the cuff. And then we'll have specific ones maybe for um, each game. And that'll be sort of George, Eddie, Faz, uh, people like that who will um, look at areas where we feel we can, we can attack them. It's tough to know what to make about Scotland at the moment because certainly after the first weekend we wondered if we'd been overly hyping them but just a bit more gumption against the French, they were a bit more on it weren't they? So yeah they were a bit more composed, um, definitely so. I think um, you know that first game they probably lacked a bit of composure, far too many errors for probably an international game um, but you know, they're a dangerous side and, and they'll definitely try and um, do what they can on Saturday but Again, we're, we're confident. We've, we've trained unbelievably hard. Last week we trained unbelievably hard, so we're definitely ready for, for that challenge. I just wanted to, um, to ask you very briefly about um, a, a, a lovely line a week, Sergei, about Eddie texting you during matches. And the <laughs> fact that uh, we saw him at Welford Road. He is never off duty, is he? And you're never off duty either. No, never. Um, and he, yeah, he... I don't, I don't, I'm not sure when he sleeps either, because I'm sure he messages boys very early in the morning sometimes as well. Um, but yeah, he's... he's I think that's why he's such a great coach. You know, he 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 loves it. He he lives it. He breathes it, and he knows exactly what he wants from his players. So you've got to respect that. Lawrence, this is a huge match for both sides. Obviously, England looking to do something which no other English team have done, and that's uh, win three back-to-back Six Nations. But Scotland, they'll take a lot of confidence after their last result against France. Yeah, very exciting time. The Calcutta Cup match uh, one of the oldest if not the oldest i think um international rugby fixture um wonderful rivalry as you say it's been um a really interesting tournament so far for all the countries um scotland obviously started with a defeat um but they seem to have got a bit of confidence back um at murrayfield i think we all know they're a very different proposition for any side um england a couple of years ago under eddie jones managed to get a pretty hard fought and narrow victory um, Scotland have already defeated a good French side, albeit one that's hired towards the end of the game. So, yeah, I mean, it's so hard to predict this Six Nations. Um, clearly, England go there as favourites, um, even though uh, people will try and play down their chances. But uh, Scotland haven't had a win over England for, for a little while now. Um, so, 
really looking forward to it. Um, you know, Scotland are, will be buoyant. Um, there's nothing like the sight of the old enemy England back in there, <laughs> you know, to, to, to really motivate them and, and get their fans really going. But, um, you know, England are sort of quietly moving along in this championship. I think everyone knows that they've haven't played anywhere near their best rugby yet, which is good for, if you're an England fan, because hopefully there's a lot more to come from this team. Um, you know, Italy was a good start, but they haven't really buried a side yet um, it, from an attacking point of view. And, uh, um, you know, they've, they've been winning. Uh, they've been winning ugly, um, particularly in the, in the last 60 minutes against Wales. And I'm sure they know playing away from home Again, this is their first real test away from home because uh, Scotland are going to throw absolutely everything at them and uh, looking forward to seeing how it pans out. Absolutely. But what do Scotland need to do? Clearly, they were much improved against France last week. But how do they go about trying to dismantle this England defence? I think, you know, Scotland will do... Um, what they set out to do against every side, which is get their fundamentals right. I think their set piece will be tested to the, uh, to the max, their scrum, their line out. Um, England are very strong in that area. And I think, um, you know, conversely, England will really look to put pressure on Scotland at set piece. Um, and I think they need to manage the game a bit better than they did uh, in their opening two matches. Um, you know, clearly in that first game, um, they were a little bit gung-ho um, and they came unstuck, didn't they, against Wales. They tried to play from too deep. They were playing in the wrong areas of the field um, and they got turned over. They made far too many mistakes against uh, Wales and they paid the price. I think against France, they brought a little bit more structure and organisation to their game. The return of um, their inspirational captain, um, you know, Laidlaw, who, are, you know, maybe, um, you know, his goal kicking was, was fundamental to the outcome of the game. So, I expect Finn Russell to come back at 10. I'm sure you do as well. Um, at his very best, uh, he's going to cause a lot of problems. He's a kind of player in, in the mould of Gregor Townsend who played 10 himself. He's, he's a bit of a maverick. He's, he's prepared to you know, give it a go. But what I think you, know, you want to give him that licence as a coach, but also you want him to have that structure. He's got to, if they get a penalty, he's got to make touch with his kicks. He's got to set up that field position. Um, so I think, you know... Not taking anything away from Scotland, they want to play in a certain way, but they need to have that structure and that shape. And the one thing you have to do with England, if you're going to beat them, is you have to get pressure on the scoreboard. You have to try and keep that scoreboard ticking over. So, uh, you know, once England get ahead, I think they become quite a difficult side to beat. Um, so I'm sure Scotland will be saying, when we do get try-scoring opportunities, when we do get penalties, let's keep that scoreboard ticking over. Absolutely. You mentioned Finn Russell there and Greg Laidlaw, who was inspirational last week in, uh, in Scotland winning against France. How big a problem or, or how big a problem is Finn Russell to Scotland? How big a problem do you think he'll be for England this weekend? I'd like to give him the... I, I mean, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. I think he's a wonderful player. I just think he had, a, he had an off day. And what the coach decided to do... He's is, had a few of those, hasn't he? Yeah, he has. And I think at international level, you can't afford too many of those. But they're not, they're not going to suddenly drop him. He, he is such a dangerous player. Um, I think you've got to back him, and that's what his coach will do. Um, you know, clearly against, uh, uh, against France, they needed to win the game. So they took him out, the, out of action. They moved Laidlaw to 10. Uh, and maybe that's the way that they like to finish the game. He has to be on the pitch for his goal kicking. You know, that's what won them the game against France. But... 
if Finn Russell gets anywhere near back to his best, he will cause England problems defensively um, because, you know, he offers so much threat in terms of, uh, you know, running 10. Yeah, he certainly does. Coming for a lot of criticism, but let's not forget how good he was against Australia when they dismantled them, as well as almost beating New Zealand not so long ago. But for England, they've got Haskell, Marlon, Nathan Hughes all returned to the squad. Do you see all of them being involved in Eddie's 23? We've just got a set time of recording. Um, it's uh, Wednesday afternoon that England's squad gets announced Thursday morning so we don't know we can only speculate well I think Nathan Hughes um, is a big positive for for England obviously no Billy Vunapola uh, Nathan Hughes has not played much rugby in the last uh, eight weeks um, clearly he is quite instrumental to Eddie Jones's plans for this game because he wasn't released back to his club wasps um, to play more rugby they didn't want him getting injured I think with the added complication of Sam Simmons picking up an injury, I think Eddie Jones didn't want to risk losing Nathan Hughes as well. So I would expect him to start at number eight with Chris Robshaw. Um, I think Underhill uh, will probably come on, uh, you know, will we'll start on the flank as opposed to being on the bench, which you have to say rather fortuitously leaves a place for James Haskell. Uh, not to say he doesn't deserve his place because he's obviously a seasoned international, but he's just come back from a, from a ban, as has Joe Marler. And because of injuries, they're fortunate to be able to walk straight back into the squad. Um, but that said, they are two very reliable, seasoned campaigners. I don't want to call them veterans because no one likes that word. <laughs> but they are, they are seasoned veterans and campaigners. And they will do a wonderful job. And it's an opportunity for them to really put their problems behind them uh, in, in the eyes of Eddie Jones and actually say to them, listen, we want to be part of your World Cup squad going forward. So good for England to have that experience because Murrayfield will be a tough test for them. And Eddie Jones knows that it's great to be able to look on your bench and know that you've got those guys that have got that experience to come on as finishers, as he likes to call them, and try and win them the game in the last few minutes. You mentioned experience and season campaign as well. They're captain in Dylan Hartley, certainly all of those things. Well, this weekend, we expect him to, to, to be selected and to captain the side where he'll become England's second most capped player of all time. So despite all of the opinions, the bands and everything else, he'll be able to look back on his career and be incredibly proud. Just, just a quick word on him. Yeah, I mean, sport is a results-driven business and um, the results and the records keep tumbling for England. You know, Dylan Hartley is statistically England's most successful captain, period. Um, you know, England have on a run where they've won more games at Twickenham than any other England side. You know, that is a, that is a fact. Um, and they keep breaking records. You know, this, if they were to go on and win this championship, um, this would be the third in a row, unprecedented. So, you know, whether people think he deserves to be in the team or not, he's England's most successful captain. Under his guidance, England have only lost one game against Ireland and uh, he's doing a good job and, and he's Eddie Jones's man. So give him a bit of credit. I've been his... Um, I've been a fierce critic of him only because I want to see him play to that world-class level that I believe you know all England captains and all captains of any side should play at every now and again. Um, and you know, but he is leading by example. Um, he's obviously got the respect of, of the coaching staff and of the players, and uh, you know he's doing a great job. So you know, good luck to him. And also a little word for Joe Launchbury, who will win his fiftieth yeah. cap if he's selected. Um, you know. It used to take a long time to get 50 caps. He, he, he seems to have done it very, very quickly. And uh, having been um, sort of looked at by Eddie Jones and when he initially started as a player that, you know, did he, was he mentally tough enough? Was he physically tough enough? He, he now appears to be um, England's number one choice at second row. And it's a question of who will actually partner him in that lock position. So, you know, well done to him. Uh, and uh, I'm sure it's going to be a game 
um, to be worthy and, um, uh, you know, that will hopefully stick long in the memory for him. Absolutely. Quick prediction on the game. Well, it'll be tough and it'll be close, uh, but I do expect England to win. Um, win well? Well, I, th I think if they, if they make a good start, then I think they have got the ability to, to open up. England, if we're honest, have, have, have not played anywhere near their potential yet in this championship. And you do feel at some point it will come. Um, whether that is this weekend against Scotland, I don't know. But um, it, it will come at some point. And I, I think that if the forwards can do the job that, that they're expected to do and, and really put the squeeze on Scotland up front in the set piece, then potentially this England back line, like they did you know, last time they played, have got the ability to, to, to really rack up the points. So I'm expecting England to win, but it'll be close. Absolutely. The other fixtures from the weekend, obviously Ireland against Wales and France against Italy. Let's focus on Ireland against Wales. Some bookies had Wales at 4-1 to one at the start of the week. Do you think that's slightly disrespectful considering how well they performed against England last week or is it just because Ireland are so strong at the Aviva? I think Ireland are playing at home. I can't remember the last time they lost at home, but it was a while ago. Um, they are the form team of the championship. If you look at them statistically, um, they've dominated territory and possession in, in both their opening games, up above 60%, which uh, no other side have done. Um, they're actually kicking a lot less than any other side. So all this nonsense about Ireland kick and clap is, uh, is a thing of the past. They're, they're way down on that. And they seem to have uh, a very settled team, albeit they've got one or two injuries coming in. So, uh, but Wales have got um, a few players to add themselves. Yep. Obviously, the, uh, the return of um, Lee Halfpenny, which is crucial. He was yep. sorely missed at Twickenham. His, his kind of experience. Liam Williams, who was man of the match for Saracens in the weekend. Yep. Um, and obviously, um, the return of Dan Bigger at 10, which Huge. gives them that experience and that shape and composure. So, w Wales will be a, a tough nut to crack. But uh, you feel that Ireland are still the form team. And it's so hard. And I can't, under, you know, I can't overstate this it's so hard to win away from home in the six nations you know if you take italy's results out of the equation last in the last year's tournament only england were able to win away from home last year which was elliot daly in the last few minutes yeah. so it, it it really is tough so for that reason um the bookies have ireland as nine point favorites um but uh, i think it might be a little bit closer than that i think it will i looked at wales performance against england last week and they missed three tackles throughout the game, gave away two penalties. And I'm sorry, you do not lose many international games if your stats are that high. So if they're able to put together that kind of disciplined performance, this will be a proper tussle. Yes, um, Ireland are missing Henshaw, but I think they'll be able to remedy that loss because the likes of Bundyaki's actually playing so well. They have a pretty settled squad, but as you've already mentioned, Wells have got their big guns back and it should be... Oh, Geez, it'll be a tough game, but it's hard to look past Ireland, isn't it? It is, and it's a big decisions for Joe Schmidt as their coach. You know, he's uh, he's obviously uh, got Gary Ringrose back. That's a potential option. Um, you know, does he partner him with Bundyaki, uh, who's been going really well? But Chris Farrell as well. Yeah, or but Chris Farrell. I mean, Chris Farrell and Bundyaki together would only have about six caps worth of experience, so possibly a little bit worried about the inexperience in yep. that department. So big decisions for Joe Smith. That's why he's paid the big bucks. And, um, you know, really looking forward to seeing how things, uh, you know, pan out in that game. France against Italy. Well, a lot of the chat for France has really kind of been their indiscretions off the pitch. We don't need to detail it. It's all whispers and rumours and whatnot, and there's nothing... Nothing concrete out there. So, but I guess what that's led to is Jacques Brunel dropping seven of his players. 
a much-changed sides. We've got the likes of Bastereau coming back into it. Teddy Thomas who scored all of France's tries. He's now not in the team, but I guess against Italy, you think they'll be able to manage it. France should win, but how important is it for France, who haven't got a win so far to Six Nations, not only to win, but to win really well, especially at home? Yeah, I think, listen, you'd rather win one of your opening two games and for them to go three games without a win would be, would be huge. And obviously against Italy, you know, a lot of um, conjecture, speculation off the field, but actually on the field, they opened their, their account with Ireland. Things could have gone so differently had that drop goal not gone over. Um, they made over 200 tackles in that game. And I watched, uh, I mean, they, they, were, they, were, they, they, they put in a huge shift and lost the game. And then the following week, um, Jacques Brunel picked pretty much the same team and actually it was their indiscretion on the field that cost them the game (laughs) they gave away penalties and that didn't surprise me because that was a team that was really tiring towards the end of the game and it wasn't till the last 20 minutes that Scotland were able to win that match so regardless of what's happened off the pitch from a discipline point of view I was expecting changes to this French side because you know all of those players have played a lot of rugby in the last two two rounds so um, you know I think their their team needs freshening up uh, they've got an amazing talent pool in France. Um, they're expected to win and win well. You know, 18-point start they've been given. So, uh, you know, but Italy um, are getting better with every game. Do you think uh, they'll be sniffing blood at all this weekend? Well, I think, listen, they're, they're, they'll look for small gains, Italy. I mean, if they were to win this match, it would be a, a, a big shock, you know, a seismic shock. But, uh, you know, who knows? Conor O'Shea has got one big performance in, in him from his Italian squad. Um, you know, they've been getting better and better by the week. Uh, but I do expect France to win, um, even though uh, Italy will put in a huge performance. Let's go back to the England-Scotland game. We've de- detailed what it's going to look like this Saturday for the current crop of players. But we've been fortunate enough to play in the Calcutta Cup. What are your fondest memories from it? Um, well, largely, they're very positive. I mean, I, I did come out the wrong side once in, in 2000, but uh, we don't need to dwell on that. Um, <laughs> no, definitely you know, not. <laughs> it's one of those rare games where, where you score the opening try and, uh, and you don't go on and win the game. So uh, no one really remembers that I scored in any way whatsoever. <laughs> they, they just remember the, you know, the, the, um, the heavens opening up and, uh, and Scotland get going on and, and getting a deserved victory. And, uh, so, but by and large, very, very fond memories. I was... Uh, lucky enough to play with the, uh, the great Dean Richards, who I was looked up to in, in one of my first Five Nations games, as it was then. What was uh, he like as a mentor? Uh, he was a fantastic player to have around me. He had, a, he had a sort of gravitational force that meant that the ball always found its way to, uh, you know, to him, really. Um, so really enjoyed uh, memories of Scotland, huge rivalry. Uh, I captain England at Murrayfield. We ran out, and I've never seen more pipers on the field, um, you know, I nearly knocked a few of them over as we, as we ran out. They were on the roof, they were on the terraces, they were absolutely everywhere. So uh, real passion um, and, uh, yeah, real excitement and, and really looking forward to it. You know, the, the Scots have got um, a huge rivalry with England, but what they have to remember is that England actually have a huge rivalry with Scotland as well. The feeling is mutual, trust yeah, me. of course And uh, we, we look forward to playing them as much as they look forward to playing us. And I think every Englishman, whether you're a supporter or a player, needs to remember that. See, it's funny. I was about to talk about my memories. I've played Scotland a couple of times at Twickenham. Really good memories. At Murrayfield, the last time I played him, I actually got knocked unconscious. I collided heads with Kelly Brown. So in terms of my memories, I don't really have any. But what, what were you doing running anywhere near <laughs> Kelly Brown? That's, <laughs> or what was he doing anywhere close to you? You're I, quick. I was wondering what he was doing, A, on the wing. And secondly, in a Swede off, he was always going to win. Have you seen the size of his melon? I've only got a bit of a P-head. I saved the try, so uh, you're welcome, England. Anyway, let's move on back to the Premiership and the big stores from round 15. 
It was an exciting weekend. For some, for some teams, it was slightly pivotal. Um, and by that, I mean Leicester against Harlequins at the weekend. Eighth against ninth, not a conversation you normally have. But for one of those two teams, top four was over at the weekend. What did you make of the game? Well, we're starting to get into that period of the season where every game creates a, a, its own headline. And uh, as you say, these two sides who are used to being in the top of the table currently find themselves towards the wrong end of the table. Both teams coming into the game off the back of a defeat. A lot of murmurings amongst supporters, amongst players, about whether they've got the right coaches, whether they've got the right players. Um, so it was a must-win game. Um, there's only a few games left uh, in, the, in the competition. And uh, you can't keep talking about your top four chances if you're losing games. So I think for, for the side that won, which in this case was Leicester, you know, they can start to think about an outside chance of making the top four. And people have to remember that Leicester, in the history of the Premiership, have never failed since 2004 to make the playoffs. And we keep doubting them every year. And they go on this second, seat, second uh, part of the season charge and they prove everyone wrong. They're leaving their charge very late this year but they've managed to beat Harlequins and hopefully they can springboard after that. Harlequins, on the other hand, had a, a performance that, um, that caused their coach to come out with, with his very outspoken with his comments, be critical of the, the performance against Wasps. And unfortunately, I mean, I do agree with him to a point. I don't think they deserve the scoreline. I think the scoreline yeah. flattered Leicester. True. But yet again, Harlequins come away with nothing and uh, it's going to be a tricky time for them to, to get back to winning ways before they get their players back from England. Yeah, they've really struggled. They haven't won a single game, picked up a single point actually during the international periods. But uh, yeah, worrying signs of Harlequins, but really nice atmosphere starting to build here at Barnes Rugby Club. The punters are coming in. We've got Facebook Live very shortly, but let's go back to your old team, Wasps. Really good result. You know, last year's Premiership finalists were Wasps managed to get the edge on Exeter at home. Really tight game. Yeah, they did. And for Wasps, it was a, it's a really important block of games because I think everyone at Wasps and, and a lot of people outside feel that they are still worthy of, being, of, of, of finishing in the top four. But we all know how crucial that home advantage is in the semi-finals. And this was about them, you know, getting one over on the team that beat them in the Premiership final last year, Exeter Chiefs. Exeter losing now three games on the bounce, which is unusual for them in the Premiership. Yep. But I think it was the manner of the, of the victory for Wasps. So often last season, we talked about Wasps being wonderful attacking side, will score five tries, but they concede four and occasionally lose the game. What I liked about the Wasp performance was the way that they defended like their, their lives depended on it. They stopped Exeter from going over the line three or four times and they really dug it out. You know, there was only one try apiece. It was a very close game. Incredibly physical, horrible injury to Alex Reader. We wish him well. Some other injuries on both sides, but it was the manner of their performance. It was a very un-Wasp-like way of winning. And they clearly showed that, you know, not only can they score tries from anywhere on the field, but for the first time probably all season, they actually went toe-to-toe -to -toe with one of the most physical sides and came out on top. And I think that bodes well for them going forward. It certainly does. Obviously, a lot of other fixtures from the weekend. Saracens, well, they quietly worked their way back to the top of the league. They've, they've not been there for a little yeah. while, so they'll be feeling very happy. I themselves. mean, the, the big highlight for me of the weekend that we should probably talk about is, is, the, is the battle of the basement. You know, Worcester winning and then London Irish losing. I mean, it's huge. There's now a 16-point yeah, gap. Now, this weekend, we've got a huge game, which happens to be London Irish against Worcester. So you've got to say to yourself, at the moment, London Irish look like they're the team that are going to get relegated. Um, you know, this is a huge match for them. I mean, if they lose this one, I think we can safely say that they are, you know, they're going to find it very, very almost impossible to come back 
So it's a massive game for Worcester and a huge game for London Irish for very different reasons. That's it. Well, that moves us on very nicely. Well, London Irish's Aviva Premiership survival is on the line against Worcester this Sunday in our live match. We sent our very own Ali Eakin to check on the Exiles ahead of this huge encounter. Here's the best bits. So, Nick, are we, are we beyond the kind of every game's a cup final cliche now? Where, where do we stand and, and how do you view it from the top for London Irish? Um, we're looking forward to the game against Worcester. It's, it's still, you know, we're not down. It's not mathematically confirmed. It is all against us now, let's be honest. Worcester have done, have done brilliantly in the last few games. That game away to Exeter was, was a huge, huge win for them. And you take your hat off and they've, they've done brilliantly. Um, we're still doing all we can to, to win the next game, which is against Worcester. So the boys have been working really hard. We're training really hard. And to be fair to our lads, they've been brilliant. They haven't let those, you know, the other results upset them. They haven't let our results get them too down. They have been down, extremely down, because they care so much. But they still turn up doing all they can out here on the pitch and, and putting all the work in possible to try and turn these losing bonus points into wins. How difficult is it for you as a boss to mobilise and motivate guys when the numbers are so stacked against you? Not that difficult because we've got such a good group. Um, you know, we've, we changed our culture, we built our culture in the last year down in the championship and it's, it stays strong. It's the one thing that hasn't been coming is the wins, but the, you know, the, the belief, the energy in training and the way the guys look after each other is, is still very much there. It's there every week in training, every Monday morning. That's why yeah, I can't praise the guys highly enough. And have you found that um, a different sort of challenge? I mean, obviously, when you came into the Premiership, you knew what, what was coming. But now that you, you are where you are, it's a very different sort of challenge for you as a DOR than it was when you first began at Twickenham all those days ago back in September. Yeah, definitely, definitely. The change of the season goes on. Um, you say we knew what we were getting ourselves in for. I don't think we did. Um, you know, we didn't know how tough it would be. That, that first block of Prem games, it, it really hurt us. It, it hit us hard and um, I don't think our confidence quite recovered. And um, the, the boys have got a lot of belief. And, you know, there's so many close games. Those losing bonus points, we lost by one point, three points, four points, time and time again. But we've, for me, I'll say we've not. I've not been quite good enough to get those results. Huge match for both involved. You've got a feeling that if London Irish lose that game, they are all but pretty much relegated. Quickly, just to round up last weekend, Newcastle, what a brilliant result it was by them. They got a bonus point victory over what Black Hadder said, a pathetic bath that day. They'll be certainly looking for improvements. Our other live game this Sunday pit Saracens against Leicester. Well, last week, Ali spent a day in the company of Saracens coach Alex Sanderson, who gave us a fascinating insight into the inner workings of the club. Is there merit in difference? Do you think there's, there's mileage in, in doing things separately to everybody else? Not just for the sake of being different, but creating a point of difference, I think, is important. Um, and coming back to, I guess, ultimately what your values and what your beliefs and what your strengths are is, is a key thing, which, which is what we did um, you know, after that Claremont at home game that still get nightmares about. We just came back to, to what we knew we were about, what we wanted to be about, how we wanted to be portrayed and how we wanted to see ourselves. But we tweaked, like I say, a lot of the other things and how we did it. It was quite different. The process was different, but the reasons for doing it were the same. 
And how different is the culture now at this club? And obviously everybody talks a lot about culture at Saracens or when we're discussing Saracens. How different is it now, would you say, to when you first were appointed as a forwards coach here? What was that, 2008? Yeah, massively different. It is in some aspects. And, and thankfully, um, very similar in others. We're still very much a, a team-based organisation, a people-based, a value-based organisation. We're a place where we want the lads to come in and have fun and enjoy themselves, but also in the same breath. We want to aspire to win. We want to aspire to, to perform as well as we can and to keep improving in those performances. And we're driven by a core group now who have we got World Cups in the sights. You know, they're very, very intrinsically driven individuals. And I think partly of us sharing that ambition with them has had to drag the club with it from what was a professional club with an amateur uh, kind of philosophy into uh, now which is very much more a professional club. And gone are the days where we'd go out um, and have a drink just to bond. We're pretty tight now. So I think we're more about getting better and finding those small improvements week to week on the field. And how do you marry drive and ambition of that nature, of that kind of extremities with those characters and the fun? Yeah. How do you do that? Because that's not necessarily that easy. It's not, and they're often at juxtapositions that uh, I think it's about creating empathy between the different types of people you have in the organisation because some people aren't driven by a World Cup or aren't in the England squad and so coming here and coming into this environment is what gives them the buzz, is why they, they train. Schaltberger, for instance, he's playing out of his skin. Uh, uh, Chris Wiles, they're driven by the group more than any external influence. Um, so it's important that the guys who, who come from England, who are our best players and are, to some degree our best leaders understand to get the best out of these players um, who are the, who've been the cornerstones of this Saracen side. That part of their motivation is the environment and not just the performance. So it's each group emphasising what each, each other needs to get the best out of each other uh, at the weekend. And what about you in terms of your development as a coach, Al? You've now been here, what, best part of 10 years in, in that capacity, in different capacities. Yeah, it's, you see it on my face, can't yeah. you? But, um, <laughs> never decreasing hairline. Yeah, well, there's one or two greyer hairs, <laughs> yes, but you're not alone right. in that, let me tell you. How do you think you've developed in, in that period? I mean, it's sometimes difficult to analyse yourself, but how would, you, how would you look at yourself now uh, as opposed to when you were first appointed? Wow, um, more mature. I've got a kid, I've had to grow up, Ali, you know what it's like. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'd like to think more, more rounded, I guess, myself. It, it, I, I'm a better person for being in this organisation um, and I'm very grateful for that, you know. I come in and I think to myself sometimes I'm, I'm, a, I'm a really lucky man because I get to come and have fun and work with a group of people who I generally care about, generally care about, not just in terms of what they do at the weekend but in how they are and how the wives are and how the kids are going on and, and, uh, and with that, you can come in some days not really feeling up for it, minus two and it raining, and you still leave, leave the day like in a bit of a buzz and a bit of a high, and that, that's special, isn't it? When the journey that you're going through on a daily basis makes you happy, not, you're not just relying on the result of the weekend. Do you want to be a DOR at some point? Um, it'd be nice to see if I could do it. See, I'm contradicting myself there, because you don't do it on your own back. I'm sure Smalley wouldn't be the first one to say that this isn't all he's doing either, like we all, we all chip in, we all contribute, but I guess t to have the helm and to see if I could do it again, outside of somewhere which was originally created by a Brendan Venter and an Edward Griffiths, to see if I could put my own stamp on it. 
yeah, that would be interesting. Um, but I'm, I'm, even though I don't look, I'm relatively young, Al. So <laughs> I sit, if I'm going to retire at 50, I've got another, another, a few good years to, to hone my skills. And when I do get the opportunity, do it right. Do you like the in-game interviews? Uh, I, I think I'm quite good at trying to shed the. <laughs> Shed the fear and the stress that I've got in the game <laughs> and talk you about nonsense. You seem pretty relaxed when you do them. Yeah, I'm, it's like the duck, isn't it, with the feet underwater. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm flapping uh, under the water a lot of the time. Do I like it? Um, I guess I, I see it as a bit of part of the job. And if I can give a bit of an insight, which people at home appreciate, and some people have said that, then, um, yeah, I've, I've got no residence in, 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 in saying not today. You know, I'll always have a chat to you. Any, any uh, particular ones stick in the memory? I liked um, um, to Talon away. That's the, the best ones when you're beating Talon away and you're 24 points up after 20 minutes and someone says, how's it going? You're like, well, how do you think it's going? <laughs> like we've got a bonus point. You know, they're the easy ones. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and the tougher ones is when uh, defensively you can see it in a fair few points and you're on the back foot in the scrum and the mall and my pride's dented and I know I'm going to have to get myself right for Monday morning and you've got to put a brave face on. But no, I, uh, like I say, it's, it, it's, it doesn't bother me either way so much. Saracens against Leicester this weekend. Saracens seem to have found their mojo back after that little like mid-season slump. They're back to their very best. Beach sale on Friday night. Leicester obviously buoyed by their victory against Harlequins this weekend. How do you see this one panning out? Well, it's ominous from Saracens, the European champions, isn't it? They obviously want their crown back domestically. Um, they're making their move. It's the first time they've been... Uh, they've overtaken Exeter at the top of the table um, and they've regained their place um, at the very top. Um, and they're hosting their old foes, Leicester Tigers, who obviously are, will be buoyant after the victory against Harlequins. But Alliance Park has never been a particularly happy hunting ground for Leicester Tigers. I've covered many a game there where they've not only been beaten, but they've been beaten well. So this will be a, a really thorough examination of Matt O'Connor's side and even with the, all the stars away for, for uh, Saracens, particularly up front, um, you still feel that their strength in depth uh, is at a different level to, to that of Leicester Tigers. And I can't see anything other than a home victory in that game. Yeah, Leicester much improved at the weekend, but looks slightly blunt at time. Matt Tamura back to 10, offered them a lot more control, scored a brilliant solo try. But they're going to have to be markedly better if they're to go to Alliance to get anything away. But as I said, that match is going to be live on BT Sport 1 at 3.15 and 4K UHD. Huge statement of intent from Saracens if they're to go ahead and win that. Other games from this uh, weekend, this upcoming weekend, got X against Northampton. Prediction there, Lawrence? Yeah, I think X are, uh, are going to bounce back. They have to, really. Sandy Park, a bit more of a fortress for them. They've obviously lost recently to Worcester, which was completely uh, a complete surprise for, for probably most of us, but particularly for them. And I think Rob Baxter, having um, lost also to Wasps, um, you know, losing three in a row is unthinkable. Um, losing four in a row would be unheard of. So uh, I'm sure that they'll uh, get back to winning ways. Bath against Sale. Big game for Bath. Blackadder called them pathetic last week. Were a huge time and opportunity to turn it around against Sale. Yeah, it's always, you know, when a coach comes out and is very critical of his team, what he's expecting, what he's looking for is a reaction. And clearly, Bath at home are a very different proposition. They just decided not to tackle up at Newcastle. So uh, I'm sure that they'll be uh, in much more focus this weekend. And there's a bit of niggle between Bath and Sale. They've yeah. had some, some tough encounters. It, it's normally a scrum fest. 
um, and there's been some controversy in that fixture over the years. So uh, I'm sure Steve Diamond has, you know, quietly got his side on a bit of a roll. They're currently in eighth in the league, but there's not much uh, between them and a top four place. So, um, you know, they're doing everything on, on a slightly different budget to other people, or that's what Steve Diamond keeps telling us anyway. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing that game. But, uh, you know, you, you'd slightly favour the home team. Yeah, of course. If they've got any ambition, they're five points off the top four. They have to win this weekend. Otherwise, it'll be a shootout for um, top six for them. Gloucester against Wasps. That's a massive game, isn't it? Well, I mean, how do you see that one going? Because, oh, you know, gosh. Gloucester, again, is, is uh, are a side under Ackerman who have, been very very good at home yeah perhaps not being able to translate translate that away from home and uh, you know they're coming up against an informed wasp side but they'd fancy their chances wouldn't they it's funny because two weeks ago when wasp went to harlequins and not just beat them they beat them got got the five points and they did it with 14 men that showed a different side of wasp that i think's been perhaps missing for a little while they certainly put a lot of doubters wrong die young was thoroughly pleased with the attitude of their guys if they're to invoke those emotions from that day and go to King's home, which is a tough place to go. They've really got a chance, but Gloucester at home, they're actually sitting really pretty at the minute. They're in fourth place. They'll want to keep that status. They're chasing Was who are in third. If Gloucester to lose that, the top three, I think, are pretty much locked off. So uh, Gloucester really need to stay in the fight, not just because of their home record, but really that top four is getting so congested. I've not given you a prediction there at all. <laughs> no, you sat on the fence <laughs> nice and comfortably there. I just know it's going to be a wonderful game. And, and the last one, Harlequins against Newcastle. Newcastle, great form. Harlequins struggling. Harlequins, can they just rely on their home form? Is that going to be enough for them to be able to beat an informed Newcastle side? Well, Dean Richards' revolution continues. Um, you know, his, his history of being director of rugby at Harlequins, we know about. They're up to fifth with that bonus point try, bonus point victory, sorry, against Bath. And, um, you know, they're, they're certainly not getting altitude sickness at the moment. They're enjoying <laughs> it up there. Um, the, the nucleus of their squad is together. They've got Toby Flood playing, you know, somewhere close to his best. He was man of the match last week. And to be honest, they're playing against what I'd call a fragile Quinns team. And I mean that in the nicest possible way because they're missing the spine of their side and um, they're going to really have to muscle up um, and if they want to get the victory. So uh, always hard to bet against the away team, but... You know, you, you, you've got to fancy Newcastle the way that they're playing at the moment. You certainly did. Either way, it should be an exciting weekend of Premiership Rugby, whether your team's at the top or you're looking at a lowly London Irish importance right throughout. Anyway, well, thank you for listening to the Rugby Tonight podcast. We'll be back in the studio with myself, Craig Dole and Ben Kay. And make sure you subscribe to the pod so you get it delivered to your device every Thursday morning. If you like it, leave us a nice review and a five-star rating. Bye for now. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff: shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? 
They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.